Hello and welcome back to Ninjas and Bots, the weekly podcast that is covering every issue of IDW's comic book series for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Transformers. We put out every episode on Saturday mornings, just like the cartoons did whenever we were kids. And um, in this podcast, my name is John and with me is my friend, Lane. Hi, Lane. Hi, John. Hi, listeners. Um, We are here for episode 26, which is exciting because it means we've done six months of episodes, and that's cool. Last time was 25, but 26 is a proper six months. So, yeah, and we are celebrating with issue 11 of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which um, which Lane is going to tell us about. Yes. Okay. So, issue number 11 is part three of the story arc called Shadows of the Past, has a published date of June 2012. Story by Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz. Script by Tom Waltz. Art by Dan Duncan. Colors by Rhonda Pat- Rhonda Pattison. Letters by Sean Lee. Edits by Bobby Curno. The cover is a fairly generic shot of the four turtles in attack mode with their respective weapons. It's not like a bad shot or anything. It's just it could be used for literally any story. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So I had initially written this out um, just as it happened in the story, but um, it, I'm finding it easier to divide things into like the A story and the B story. And like, I know you've done that a couple times. It just makes things a little easier for us and for our listeners, I think. So the A story I'm calling will be um, following the turtles and April and Casey Excuse me. And the B story will cover Splinter, Shredder, and all that's going on there. So, at the second time around shop, a figure with purple gloves peers through the window, which is covered with a sign saying the store is closed. Inside, and visible to the peeping Tom, Raph, Leo, and Donnie discuss their plans to rescue Splinter while they wait for Mikey to return with pizza. Mikey has returned with the pizza, and he sees the stranger peering through the window. Mikey attacks until he realizes the stranger is a young woman with purple and black hair, and Mikey decides to invite her to a pizza party. So he goes from being on the offensive to more defensive and just like, hey, you know, you're a girl. I'm being flirty and, and fun. So, um, but the rest of her gang shows up and say, yeah, pizza sounds good. Nearby, uh, April bemoans to Casey that she needs to be up in class, up in two hours for class, and she's totally going to fail her advanced genetics exam. Casey says, well, if it makes you feel any better, I bomb tests even when I don't stay up all night sneaking through sewers and fighting insane robots. Um, not totally sure that helps Casey, but A for effort. <laughs> <laughs> so April drops him off um, they, after they, they make plans to see each other after class, and uh, as she drives off, Casey puts on his hockey mask and wonders if he'll survive long enough to keep his date with April. So nearby, with Mikey defending himself against the strange woman while quipping about not having enough pizza for everyone. Um, again, his moves seem to be all defensive rather than offensive. But his brothers hear the ruckus and exit the pawn shop at a run to help him. So with the odds evened, the turtles make quick work of neutralizing the threat. The woman says she's getting real sick of you freako muties invading our turf. Casey is suddenly there, and I didn't know at the time that he was, like, just around the corner, basically, because he just seemed to be suddenly be there. 
Um, he lifts his mask and calls the purple-haired woman by name. Angel? The turtles learn from Casey that Angel is the leader of the Purple Dragons gang. Angel says they are more like a community watch now than a gang. The turtles ask what other mutants she's seen in the area. She is reluctant to divulge information, but Casey swears on his mother's grave that she can trust them. Finally, she says that the mutants she has seen are a big ugly pirate cat and a kung fu coyote or something like that. Hob and Alopex, of course. Against the wishes of the other purple dragons, Angel tells them where the foot ninja can be found. She says she'll show them, but that's as far as the purple dragons will be dragged into this. It's time to stomp some foot. The uh, B storyline, we open with Splinter in the same place we left him, in the midst of the Foot Clan with Shredder giving the order to destroy him, as Karai dr draws her bow, as in bow and arrow, not bow staff. And to be sporting, they have given Splinter a sword. Karai looses the arrow. Splinter is a very tired old rat, but not so tired as to be slain by an arrow shot by a child. He cleaves the arrow lengthwise with his katana. Impressive AF, not gonna lie. <laughs> Splinter calls the stunned Karai a use, or not Splinter, uh, Shredder calls the stunned Karai a useless girl, then orders the rest of the foot to attack. And this kind of reminded me of Bane wearing down Batman in Nightfall. Like, Shredder, if you really want to prove your superiority, do it yourself. Don't make everyone else wear him down first. Bane did the same thing, but I digress. Um, so Splinter's desire to see his family again helps keep him going despite his wounds and exhaustion. He doesn't hold back in his attacks. Finally, he stands victorious among dozens of the fallen foot ninja. Only Karai, Shredder, and Alopex remain. Shredder gives Alopex permission to join the battle. Her fight with Splinter begins. Splinter is surprised at Alopex's extreme speed, but he has another weapon to use against her. Empathy. He tells her that he has heard of her from Raphael, and how she was stolen from her natural family and forcibly mutated into a soldier for the Foot Clan. That she has a choice now of what to do, and she doesn't need to be enslaved by another. All the while, his words enrage her, and she attacks fiercely, and she says that she chooses to kill him. Splinter deflects and disarms her of her blade with his own, and he says, The distance between the paths of war and peace is as a immense as the divide that separates student and master. That's a Splinter mic drop right there. Mm -hmm. So with Alopex down, Splinter turns his attention at last to Shredder. So, Urukusaki, do we settle this now, master to master? Uh, Shredder takes offense to a mutated rat, referring to himself as master, though he does concede that, yes, in your past life you were a master. Splinter reminds Shredder of the wrongs he committed in his past life, killing his family, then killing him. And now he is here to make, in this life, to make good on the promise Hamato Yoshi made before he died. Shredder takes off his cape, and the two of them prepare their fight. Dun dun dun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is, uh... Like yeah, not, technically not, not a lot happened, but it was still an interesting read that felt like a lot was happening. Right, um, and honestly, I feel like the um, the build-up to the Splinter-Shredder fight has been just a tiny bit padded with the, uh, the Splinter issue and this issue between when they mm -hmm. met at the end of 10, and they're going to fight, allegedly, in 12. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. There's other storytelling to do. Yeah. I'm always a, a nitpick for continuity and, and how things are going to fit together. Um, 
it was a different writer on the micro series splinter issue that came out a week before this, Mm -hmm. but the way it's written and the details of the way this one is drawn, I'm not sure that it fits exactly, but it's just like minor glitches that if you squint at and tilt your head, they don't really matter. So somewhere in the fight before he starts fighting Alapex, there's the splinter issue. Mm, Yeah. Well, he's like, because that splinter issue, a lot of it is uh, basically splinters musings. Right. Which can happen in, you know, a, a split second, which I always think is kind of cool. Um, so it does fit in there, in in my head canon. Uh, so let's see. Let me pull out my issue here. <clears throat> I love it when Mikey talks to Pizza like it's his romantic partner. Yeah. yeah. That like boy in his food. Baby. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It's, it's still up on the roof as, you know, by the time the, the issue ended, um, he set aside the pizza so that uh, he could. I, I am surprised he has only one pizza. One pizza between four teenagers. Yeah, when has one pizza ever been enough for four teenagers? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's all his friend at that shop could get him. Especially, like, as with as many calories as they burn on a daily basis. Right. But, uh, and, and yeah, he, he is a sucker for a pretty face. Like, we're finding this out about Mikey. <laughs> he definitely is. And uh, speaking of pretty face, the mysterious person at the end of issue 10 was just swoopy hair, after all. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't sure about that, but it was just the wind blowing her locks. Um, I can totally relate to April, because being up all night before work sucks, and being up all night before a test is worse, because oh, not only do you have yes. brain cloud from being sleepy, but you could fall asleep right there during the test and not even mean to. Yeah. See, I could I, do that when I was in my early mid-20s, but if I do that now, I do not function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our brains need uh, need moral support. Yeah. Like, when I uh, during like mushroom season here, I, I tell people... I'm not good at finding mushrooms, but I'll carry your bags. You know, I'll be here for morale support. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> on that note. You gotta carry their portable things around. <laughs> nice. You came up with that on the fly. <laughs> well done. This is why we're friends. Right, right. And it's after the, uh, my dogs are barking in the background for some reason. After that first date of coffee and sewers. It's always good to have that moment where you find out that you both want to see each other again. It's a good emotional high. Yeah, it's cute. But did you know that like she was dropping him off right and like near the near the pawn shop or close enough because it, she's pulled up to Dunkin' Donut, right? Or maybe that's where they were having. So maybe she's driving away from Dunkin' Donut, and as they're talking, she's driving. Okay, and then she cut. Then she drops him off closer to. Um, I guess wherever he says shop. to drop, yeah, wherever he says to drop him off, um, which yeah. is I guess near his house. But then he goes over to the pawn shop because he's not there immediately when we go back there with the turtles. But he does show up. Yeah, but he, it's it's yeah, it's not clear because I could see him seeing the pawn shop as you know basically a second home um, compared to like what he has to go home to. So he gets out of the van and she drives off, and almost immediately. Casey seems to act like something's not right and he puts on his mask and he's like, if I live that long. So to me, that almost seems like he um, is in the area and close enough to hear the sounds of a scuffle going on. And he knows that, you know, it's close to where the turtles are. He probably can hear, you know, blades and and other um, martial art weaponry. 
He so could that, also just be masking up to just go do his usual patrol thing. Like he's not ready to go to go home yet and go to bed. So he just starts possibly. You know, looking out for crime and makes his way toward the pawn shop because that seems like a natural direction to go. Um, mm-hmm. And probably as he gets closer, yeah, he's going to hear things and 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 go that way. Um, yeah, it's, so it's not really clear, but it's not like a big, you know, a big yeah. stick in the in the in the narrative. We don't exactly know his motivations and movements there, but but it gets him from one place to another in the in the plot. Yeah, it was just surprising because you know i I hadn't I had forgotten that he like when he shows up. I knew he would show up and recognize Angel, but I forgot the manner in which he did so. And there's just like this flight, and suddenly there Casey's there lifting his mask. I'm like, wait, when did he get here? <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> um, speaking of Angel and their friends, these are the purple dragons. Yes. Now, there's a lot of turtles I have not read. So I know that there are later dealings with the purple dragons, but for a long time, the purple dragons had exactly one appearance in the Mirage comics. Do you remember where it was? I do not. In the very first issue, when you open up and the turtles are in the alley and they fight a bunch of thugs before they go home and see Splinter and find out where they came from. Uh, Those are the purple dragons. Wow. And as the only purple dragons for years... And then they get brought back in Mirage and um, a few other continuities have them as well. But, but yeah. So whenever I read this, I have just recently read the first few issues of the Mirage series again. So I was like, oh, purple dragons. And then That's I went and looked cool. them up on Turtlepedia and saw that they actually have a few more appearances too. But yeah, that one is, is, is cool for me. I wonder if they go back through their old issues when they're, you know, trying to come up with ideas of where to take the story next. And they like, Oh yeah, we, we, what, we never did anything with that. What what can we do with that? Mm-hmm. I can see that being a thing. They call Mikey a lizard. I think Mikey is probably sitting there thinking, that's hurtful. Yeah. <laughs> Speciesist. Right. Um, Splinter is has no compunction with cutting people in half in this fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows he's fighting for his life. Uh-huh. And, like, in normal circumstances, he would never want to use that level of violence. But it's good to see that when he is in the situation where it's life or death, he doesn't really have any qualms about uh, disemboweling somebody. And he narrates it accordingly. He says, I wish to live. I want to see my family once again to keep them safe. So despite my exhaustion, despite my wounds, I fight to survive by all means necessary. And during that last line is when we see him slicing through somebody's belly. So he is, they're going to kill him if he doesn't stop them. So he stops Mm -hmm. them however he can. Yeah. And like in his past life, he was um, like a, 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 a samurai type of character. Like they they did uh, murder for hire, or you know mm-hmm. things like that. So this won't be have been like the first time he's killed somebody. Um, and I understand that was the main purpose for ninja for for shinobi back in the day was they were hired assassins. That's what they did. That's what the Foot Clan mm-hmm. scenes are referencing is them getting paid to kill somebody. Yeah. There's a whole martial art called Yaido, I think it's called, that is dedicated to um, attacks while drawing your sword. And that's like oh. how quickly, yeah, because like, you know, the, um, and that's why a lot of martial arts uh, technique is done on the knees um, obviously not all of them, but like there's there's a, a wide range of martial art uh, that's done on the knees because of 
how uh, the kneeling posture when you're in tea houses or things like that, you you kneel at the low table. So they incorporated that Seiza position to um, like where if you're in a tea house or something and you're on your knees, you need to be able to react quickly to something. So they they uh, learn techniques like that where they can be ready instantly, whether they're on their knees, if their their sword is still in its in its scabbard. Um, they can make a movement on their knees. They can start to remove their sword and already be making a blow as they're removing the sword. So I just find stuff like that fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So many things people think of when you're, I mean, developing fighting skills and techniques and everything. Mm-hmm. As an X-Pen reader, I don't love the Frico beauty comment from Angel. But to be fair, yeah. in this world, the mutant population is much smaller and much more unusual. Mm-hmm. And as these kids say, their experience with the mutant population has been 100% negative before today. So right. if they see a walking around animal creature, they're not going to be too too happy about it. And she only takes Casey's word that the turtles are on the up and up. Yeah. And the fact that he swears on his mother's grave and she knows what type of weight that has for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that helped dispel any kind of lingering doubt that she had. She's yeah, not happy about it. She she doesn't want to give up this information, but she knows Casey and she owes someone and she knows this is important for him. So she's literally doing it only for him. We don't have any details on what their connections are, but we know Casey and we know that she knows Casey, so it's the answer is that she would know the same things about him that we know. Right. Um, when Splinter is fighting Alapex. So first off, I'm still not sure about Alapex and what we supposedly know about her. Um, I do also like the idea of people switching sides, honestly, in either direction. I think uh, there's, you know, Fall for Grace makes a great story and redemption stories are really cool, too. Um, mm-hmm. But since Alapex is a new character for this world, I like the idea that Splinter could conceivably be planting seeds in the back of her brain that right now mm-hmm. she's not willing to listen, ready to listen to, but could be something for later. Yes. And her claws are much shorter than they were initially in the one shot with Raphael, mm-hmm. where they were incredibly long, like uh, Freddy Krueger claws. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still quite long, but they're they're not as freakishly long as they were when we first met her in that one shot. And they're more like fingers with claws instead of like digital knives, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Splinter mentions like, oh, she's really, really fast, but he's, he's dodging everything that she's throwing at him and able to talk to her uh, because that's kind of his weapon against her is um, trying to get under her armor a bit. Which, Until it doesn't seem to work. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's making her careless. It's making her angry, perhaps. Um, but then he's able to disarm her fairly easily and is basically like, you're a student. I'm a master. As fast as you are and as fierce as you are. Um, Bish, I just cut an arrow in two as it was flying to my in my face. <laughs> <laughs> Come at me. <laughs> right. I love and this splinter. He takes Alapex down pretty brutally. Like there's there's a good crack when he hits her under the jaw. Mm-hmm. And black splatters are usually code for blood. So it's kind of sad that he had to hurt her so bad to take her down. But as we said earlier, a fight is a fight and he'll do right. whatever's necessary. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So whenever the kids mention the Foot Clan, I like Donatello's immediate recant about his, you know, the Foot don't exist. Because like, okay, a lack of belief in <clears throat> something unlikely that other people just accept, not believing that is totally cool. Mm-hmm. And if there were ever any actual evidence of that something, I'm sure people who don't believe in it would change their minds, like right. Donnie does here. And yeah, so it's kind of like the the fine line between being a skeptic and being close minded. Yes, like I've never seen this. I have no reason to think it exists. I have no belief in it. Right, it doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Versus, but but like still being a, a a thinker. And if there were ever any evidence of such a fantastical concept then you would believe mm-hmm. it and honestly at this point the foot clan magical ninja that lived back in feudal japan times and are still somehow around in modern day new york that's a mm-hmm. pretty big ask <laughs> yeah but yeah, here and, it is. And not even and not even just like accepting th- or, or like oh i have no reason to believe something exists you know we <laughs> we live in a world and not just today but i'm sure this is something that's been around you know, since the beginning of time, um, people can be shown evidence that they are wrong and they still refuse to believe. <laughs> so, like, there's like a whole new level of closed mindedness as well. That but is a Donatello, problem. Is, is a segment of population yeah. where they'll just hold on to their position. Yeah. Regardless of facts. I don't know if it's part of like the sunk cost fallacy. Um, if they are just like, no, I've believed this long. Um, it, it will hurt my pride to admit to myself that I believe now differently, but yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. But we learned that Donatello is not one of these. Uh, he's just like, I didn't have evidence of it. Um, I'm a, a skeptic in that something doesn't exist until I have evidence that it does. The last panel of the turtles portion of the story is very reminiscent of that justice league. Number one cover from 1987 where, Guy Gardner's looking at the camera saying, you want to make something of it? Only Raphael is saying, time to stomp some foot. And I, yeah. I, I, I want to think that as soon as they like close the scene, Mikey says in full voice, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a, a neat little group shot, especially considering their an alliance is fairly strained. Um, they're, yeah. They look like a cohesive unit here for this splash page. They do. They just met. They're not really a team, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, they're going to get along for this. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. that brings us to the last scene um, with Splinter and Shredder. And I am ready for more, like nobody's business. Yeah. Shredder taking off his, his cape and just casting it aside was really kind of a cool, <laughs> a cool panel. Yes. And I wasn't sure if you um, knew my reference on that comic. So I'm pasting. I did it in, not. I'm pasting it into the. Oh wait, no, that's a whole bunch of text that you don't need. <laughs> I thought I copied an image. Copy this image and come over here and paste the image. Nope, not the text. Okay, well, um, hmm. You can send it to me, like on, on Messenger or something. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, have 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 you read Nightfall? I have read a good chunk of Nightfall. I've read all of Nightfall. I've gotten into the Night's Quest. 
Okay. Where, yeah. Um, I, you have the two different sides of the storyline going on. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I I've I've finished Nightfall and I I'm just about to start Night's Quest. Um, and it, like the thought I had about Bane wearing down Batman with like, using everybody else, it wasn't a like a spoiler because it was a thought I had in the beginning, like the early issues. Like, okay, you 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 claim to be this new big bad scary villain who's going to take down batman but you're chipping away at him you're making other people chip excuse me chip away at him to wear him down and that doesn't that just seems to um diminish the awesomeness that would be bane and i kind of had that same uh feeling with with shredder are you there yeah okay i heard like a click and i thought i was afraid that that skype had disconnected um, the, the file came through. It might have been a it might have been notification sound. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that was why I had brought up Nightfall when we were um, looking at this. So my one my one counterpoint to that would be that Bane intentionally wore down Batman before becoming supposedly the big bad, when really he's mm-hmm. just beating on an already beaten, broken man. Uh, whereas in this one, Shredder intended for all the others to kill him. Shredder did not mm-hmm. intend to soil his his hands. He's like, why yeah. is this rat still alive? And decides to take care of himself. True. Yeah. It. I mean, it, technically it is like a work smarter, not harder on both sides. Like when mm-hmm. you're a general, you send your troops in to do the dirty work for you. Um, but yeah, it, it's just like a little little quibble I have with these like one-on-one um, feuds that are, are blood feuds. And they're like, I'm going to get you, but I'm going to like actually send everyone else in to get you instead. But I'm going to get you. If I were to take that notion and put it in the text of the page, the way I would want that to play out is that Splinter is standing over the beat. I'm sorry. Shredder is standing over the beaten Splinter and is like, no, mm-hmm. this was too easy. You were already worn down whenever I fought and I don't want to beat you like this. So you're going to go and you're going to recover and we're going to do this again when you're at your, t- at your height and then I'll beat mm-hmm. you. But of course, yeah. this is also someone who last time he beat this guy was because his entire clan held them down while he swung a sword at their neck. So yeah, this is <laughs> I the don't guy know if he who beheads children. Yeah, beheading his children. <laughs> yeah, mm. I mean to be fair, like if I were in the position of Bane or Shredder, I too would be like, you know, I'm going to work smarter, not harder. Um, so it's technically a valid choice. It's just it. it takes away some of the drama for a comic book read yeah so look at that justice league cover and then look at the turtle shot at the last of the end of their turtle scene okay let me see here so while she's bringing it up for those who don't know i'm talking about uh, justice league number one from 1987 which is Uh. the first of the post-crisis series by giffen and dimatteis yes yes it does want to have that like we're all gathered together for warmth but we're going in the same direction type of pose right and the big guy in the back <laughs> is like in the same position as mr miracle mm-hmm. and uh and yeah it feels feels very much like that yeah but anyways anything else on turtles turtles 11 uh let me pull my document back up make sure i didn't jot something else down um no so like you said like they, they've been teasing out this conflict between shredder and splinter for a good little while now it's not too in my opinion like for me it's not too much yet it's not too gratuitous um but uh, since it looks like they're going to be clashing blades by the next issue i think that's a a 
a good enough like teasing out of the of the desserts um and it if they had kept it going for issue after issue then i'd be like come on just get on with it but i I think a couple issues is is good enough and to be fair this came out one month after issue 10 the splinter issue was an extra issue it did not make anything go slower it it was a bonus that hit a week before this. So it was almost mm-hmm. like the the wetting the palette for this issue a week early. And then, you know, issue 12 is only next month. So um, it's not going at really that slow of a pace. It's just the way we do this show. I don't know. I'm always eager for more. <laughs> yeah. But like I'd mentioned earlier, it's like when you stop and think about it, it didn't hit me until, you know, I was kind of jotting down the synopsis. It felt like a lot happened because of all the action, but it's like, but yeah, there really wasn't a lot of forward momentum in the actual story arc. Like this group got together and fought and this group got together and fought and that is it. Mm-hmm. But it was still fun. <laughs> still fun. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, next week we'll be um, jumping back over to turtles, to turtles, to transformers to find out about the uh, the guy who was billed as the new Autobot leader of the future, Ultra Magnus, gets the spotlight before we take a look at issue three of the Transformers Escalation. And in two weeks, we're going to come back for a turtle twofer with Ninja Turtles issue 12, <laughs> followed by the micro series issue for Casey Jones. Yes. And those came out on the same day. So I wonder how, how uh, if the stories are tied together much at all. We'll find out when we get there in two weeks. So um, I guess until then, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Bye. This podcast is a production of johnreadscomics.com, home of virtually all of the podcasts produced by me, John Wilson. Each show has its own feed on your favorite podcatcher, or the whole group can be followed under the name John Reads Comics. Remember, there is no H in John. Feedback for all shows can be sent to johnreadscomics at gmail.com, and I will plan to read it on a future episode unless you ask me not to. Follow me on Twitter at johnreadscomics, and thank you always for listening to podcasts from johnreadscomics.com. Johnreadscomics.com